Hello and welcome to the Literally Gagging podcast. This is a podcast where we have sought out all kinds of sexy books. We're looking for things that will make you as slippery between the legs as a Whitstable oyster. And if hearing two millennial women delve into the sexy intricacies of Victorian theatre lesbians doesn't sound like something that's going to float your boat, then maybe this isn't the podcast for you. My name is Hannah and as always I'm here with my co-host Molly. How are you this week? Hi Hannah, I'm good. How are you? What have you been up to? You're sweating your balls off. I'm fucking sweaty mate. I'm really sweaty. That's my main issue. Horrible. I've started watching Futurama, which I think (gasps) I've never watched it before. I've seen bits of it. Like I'm aware of it. Oh my god, I love Futurama. It's the best thing in the world. I can't believe you've never watched it. My family are massive Simpsons fans, but we're even bigger Futurama fans. And my sister and I will quote like 90% of our conversations are just Futurama references that we say at each other. I was like, I saw it and I was like, oh, that's the character that Molly and Alistair talk about all the time. I was like, I get the jokes now. I get the references. Oh, yeah. So that's that's what I've been up to. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, I'm so happy for you. I can't believe you're watching it for the first time. What have you been up to? I want to use this time to commend the nation's nurses right here, right now, because I've had two interactions with nurses this week and they have been the bomb. So I went for my smear test now that we're allowed to get back into Very important. it. If you have a vagina, I literally cannot stipulate how important it is to get your smear test done. So please don't go, oh, I don't want to do it because it might be uncomfortable. Just fucking do it. 30 seconds isn't worth getting cancer for. My future armour thing looks really silly now next to your <laughs> <laughs> cervical smear PSA. Carry on. I went in and the nurse was just the best. She was like, I am... Um, so done with the NHS right now I don't know whether I'm coming or going I don't know what's happening and she was sort of like well did you just book in because if you just booked in they won't test you and I was like I've got a bad history and she was sort of like I believe you but they won't and they won't test you if you don't have this letter and I was like I got the letter of promise <laughs> um, <laughs> she just was great I commend her so much she needs a holiday and a pay rise if you want something done get a nurse to do it they're heroes absolute heroes and well I was gonna say what are you drinking but we're drinking the same thing for the first time we are there's a reason we finally bothered to theme our drinks it was part of the original concept was that we were going to try and theme our (laughs) drinks and we've finally done it I guess we'll kind of wrap it all in together this week we are reading Tipping the Velvet by Sarah Waters and because the protagonist of the book is from Whitstable and the first big chunk of the book is sat in Whitstable we are drinking Whitstable Bay Pale Ale and it's delicious. I am all about Whitstable. I grew up not near Whitstable I live like a 45 minute drive away from Whitstable so I know it very well and when we were reading this I was like oh my god I was in Whitstable two weeks before we started reading this book. I'm so annoyed because I could have got all the cool Whitstable grams and I could have tried to find where her Whitstable shop might have been and you could have got me eating oysters but no I was two weeks too late. Uh, I'm really enjoying this it's delicious very refreshing when I opened it because it's so warm at the moment. Okay, so we are reading Tipping the Velvet this week, which is by Sarah Waters. Sarah Waters was born on the 21st of July 1966 in Pembrokeshire, North Wales, which I've been to, very nice part Mm. of the world. She has a PhD in lesbian and gay historical fictions from 1870 to now, which you can tell when you read the book. Like it makes, a lot of the book makes sense when you think about that was her thesis topic. And it was doing her thesis on this that kind of gave her the in for being interested in like Victoria. Oriana and the lesbian community in that Mm. time. She has written six novels. She's won loads of awards. In 2019, she got an OBE for services to literature. All of her novels are written with a, she calls it a clear lesbian agenda. (laughs) And she's like, lesbianism is at the top of the agenda for my books because it's the top of the agenda for my life. Like it would be weird for me to not write about it when it's such a defining part of who I am. And she said that the main thing when you're writing LGBT stories is that you have to try and like find them in amongst the way that history is written 
by straight people essentially yeah so with tipping the velvet she's been like i feel like i have taken some liberties with it but it's because there's so little written about it that you have to Mm -hmm. embellish and you have to use a bit of artistic license in order to get a story out of it and she's also said particularly of this book that because it was adapted for tv in 2002 with keely hawes as kitty which i was like very good casting because she's a bit oh do you like keely hawes i don't but then when i saw the picture of her i was like that makes perfect sense so the book had, yeah, a 2002 TV adaptation. They did a stage adaptation of it as well. She said that one of the things that has been exciting for her about this book is that she knew it would have a lesbian audience. She's like, I knew that gay people would want to read it because it's about yeah. us. But she was really surprised by how many straight people were interested. When things have like a following, they take on a life of their own. And she was like, I've had reports over the years of tipping the velvet themed cocktails, club nights, parties, tattoos, singles ads where people like Kitty seeks Nancy. (laughs) I've been sent paintings and drawings and fan fiction and cakes all based on it. I'm actually shocked that there's not a lesbian cocktail bar in Whitstable called Tipping the Velvet and I'm going to claim it now and I think that when we win the lottery, Hannah, this is what we should do. Absolutely. I think when we, either when we win the lottery or when this podcast gets like hella famous and we're minted from it that's what we will invest our money into should we dive in i think we shall what did you what did you think of this did you enjoy it i liked it i do think it could have been a little bit shorter yeah personally you can clearly tell she was very invested in all the characters and she wanted nancy the protagonist to particularly have this journey and i like the journey that she went on i just felt like you could probably chop 100 pages out of and it in the like the article that i read sarah waters said the same she was like when i read it yeah. now 20 years later she's like all i see is how it's too long and it's too overwritten and i got really carried away with it because i was just really really invested in this story but with hindsight as a writer it probably didn't need it all so we open on i think it's 1888 Whitstable, the main character of Nancy Astley, who works in her father's oyster restaurant. So her mum does the cooking, her older sister does the serving, the dad sort of is a host, and her older brother goes out and is an oyster fisherman. Her sister Alice is dating a guy um, who works at the Canterbury Theatre. So they get the train to Canterbury and they go and see a show. And during this show, it's really hot and everyone's like, like we are today, everyone's hot and bothered. Like restless and restless. Yeah. And then on comes to the stage this vision, this beauty, this talent called Kitty Butler. And she is dressed as a masher. So a masher in the day was a man who is fashionable but thinks himself irresistible to women, but their advances are often unwelcome. We can imagine what that would be by modern standards. A brochurist? Probably. (laughs) I keep coming up. Kitty's act is sort of a bit of a drag king by modern standards. And she always gives a flower to the prettiest girl in one of the front rows, as if... You know, she's a man trying to charm a pretty young lady. And this blows Nancy's little mind. Oh, she's enamoured. She is enamoured to the max. She is obsessed. She goes back, like, every single night for a week. See, this is what weirds me out, is there are actually people who do this in the theatre world today. I was standing at stage door once, waiting for my friend to come out of Les Mis. There was this girl who was like, who are you waiting for? We said our friend's name and she was like, she hasn't come out yet. And then the guy who was playing Jean Valjean came out and she like pounced on him so quickly and was like, oh my God, guess what? I'm finally moving to London so I can come and see you every night now. And he was so nice and polite about it, but shit, man, it's stalkery. Yeah, and I think as well because there's a big swathe of people they don't even go and see the show. They just stage door afterwards. Yeah. Because that girl, obviously very cute. Everyone has to have an interest, whatever. I have stage doored for people. I will not, you know, I did stage door for Phoebe Waller-Bridge and it was worth it when I saw Fleabag. I can imagine. That girl who's going to go every night to Lame is, she's not going to pay 40 plus pounds for a ticket every night. She's no. not financing the show. She's just 
turning up after work and then they can't leave work for like another half hour to an hour it's also where i work in theater it's my reception it's where i have to go through to start my day and finish my day just like the actors Mm -hmm. and there was one time when ronan keating was in a show and people got booed when coming out of stage door to go on their lunch break because we weren't ronan keating and it's really shit Anyway, so she's she's obsessed with Kitty Butler. <laughs> she's obsessed. Be nice to people at stage door. They owe you nothing. Yeah. And they might just be me leaving work. <laughs> but I think it kind of <laughs> opens Nancy's eyes to like a whole thing that she didn't know existed. Because she's like, I never saw a girl like her before. I never knew there were girls like her. And she says, which I thought was really cute. I really highlight this because I thought it was like adorable. When I see her, it's like I never saw anything at all before. It's like I'm filling up like a wine glass when it's filled with wine and I just thought that was a really nice way of describing it when you have like a crush on someone but yeah she gets really obsessed and her sister's a bit like um yeah she was good this is weird she was fine she wasn't that good Nancy keeps going back and back night after night after night and her sister's boyfriend is a fucking legend and hooks her up with the box and is like look we'll kick you out of the box if someone needs it but Hun, you go up there and you watch in the box. So Nancy sort of timed it so she's only watching Kitty on stage. And then one day Kitty, like, obviously you're going to notice if someone in the box is staring at you constantly and is only there for you, calls her down to the dressing room. And that's the first time that they meet. They're just chatting and she's like, thank you for coming. And the first sort of, I think it's not a sexual encounter, but the first flirt is... um when kitty kisses nancy's hands you know like back in the day kissing the hands and it says here i flushed with pleasure until i saw her nostrils quiver and i knew suddenly that she smelled those rank sea scents of liquor and oyster flesh crab meat and whelks which have flavored my fingers and those of my family for so many years we had all ceased entirely to notice them and now i had thrust them beneath kitty the butler's nose i felt ready to die of shame i made at once to pull my hand away but she held it fast in her own still pressed to her lips and laughed at me over the knuckles. There was a look in her eye I could not quite interpret. You smell, she began slowly and wonderingly. Like, like a herring, I said bitterly. No, not at all like a herring, she said, but perhaps maybe a mermaid. And she kissed my fingers properly. And I was like, okay, firstly, as a lesbian, why would you want to go in on that stereotype of fishy fingers? Maybe in the Victorian times that wasn't, because that's exactly what I thought as well. And I was like, they've kept it much more wholesome than my brain did. Like, what a lovely mermaid. So, hands smell like a lesbian, apparently. We kind of realise, as we get more into it, this is very much like Mm. Kitty's persona. Actors, don't trust them. Really, don't trust them. But Kitty's being very, like, suave. She's the dashing gentleman. It was a cute flirt. I was like, I like that. For Victorian ages, that's like third base, isn't it? Basically, yeah. Because that's one of the things that I thought was really interesting. And we will get, obviously, it's going to get more graphic. Mm. That's not as graphic as it gets, or we wouldn't be having it on the podcast. I should have done more research on this because I'm going to say this and I will fact check it for I put it in the podcast. Is it true that Queen Victoria didn't believe in lesbianism? Oh, I don't know, actually. Being a gay man was illegal. Lesbianism has never been illegal because people didn't no, believe it existed. Didn't it happened. So her obsession over Kitty grows and grows and grows. And um, she, because it's Victorian time, she um, shares a bed with her sister. Um, and she talks about it. So she says here, I knew that it was she more than any of them who was uneasy. I said nothing to her more about my passion. I said nothing of my new strange hot desire to anyone. So Nancy acknowledges that what she's feeling is quote unquote wrong because love is love. We're all here for love is love. But mm-hmm. Victorian England, baby, was a whole, was a whole different time. Yeah. Then ugh, Nancy, and she starts having these dreams about kitty kitty kissing her brow her ears her throat her mouth and then it says i slid my hands beneath her coat where her breasts pressed warm against her stiff gesture and rose to meet my strokings and all of this which left me thick with bafflement and pleasure with my sister by my side all this with alice's breath upon my cheek or her hot limbs pressed against mine or her eyes shining cold and dull with starlight and suspicion like yeah 
I mean, like, needs must, but it's not. It's not ideal, is it? It's not ideal at all. Having a wank with your sister in the bed next to you. And she's kind of really got herself in with Kitty, where, so she goes backstage and has this chat with her, and then she starts getting into the routine of she doesn't even go and see the show anymore. She just goes and hangs out with Kitty backstage. And she becomes a dresser of sorts. And particularly at the beginning, she says even doing things like, while Kitty's on stage, putting her clothes away and like making her a tea and keeping the room all nice and stuff. What acts of love, these humble little ministrations and of pleasure, even perhaps of a kind of self-pleasure, for it made me feel strange and hot and almost shameful to perform them. She sort of knows she's being like a bit much. She's sort of getting off on almost getting to like play house with kitty backstage yeah. and i would say kitty's a user so kitty's enjoying this kitty is more than happy <laughs> to let this absolute rando girl come in like, after like clean up after a maker a tea this becomes the routine she she kind of does the oyster thing during the day and spends all her time thinking about kitty and then in the evening she'll go to the theater she'll sit in her dressing room and help her and they get closer they become very very good friends and her parents are a bit like this is weird why don't you bring Kitty home for dinner and we can meet this woman that you are obsessed with and maybe see why you're hanging out with her so much, why you're so interested in her. Yeah, and it's kind of like, oh, you've got a a new best friend. We would like to meet her because you're spending all your time with her when you're not in this house at work. And she's very, like, ashamed of the idea of taking Mm. Kitty to meet her parents. She does not want to do that. And she's like, well, I'll ask her, but she probably won't want to come. And then Kitty's like absolutely i do want to come fuck yeah i want dinner who especially when you're in a job where you don't have like a set home we've already established it that kitty doesn't really like have a lot of family or anything she's like um someone's gonna take me to their family home and cook me some oysters yes Yes, please please. cook oysters i don't know you can cook oysters depends on how you want them She's like, who wouldn't want a family home-cooked meal when they live in, like, actors' digs, essentially, on their own most of the time? And Nancy is a bit ashamed. She's like, everything I thought was fine before now looks shabby in my parents' house. Like, everything looks worn. You can see that we're poor. And I just feel embarrassed to introduce Kitty to this. But Kitty is like, no, free dinner, I'm coming. So she comes to dinner and... They're all chatting and, of course, they're having oysters. Now, I get another weird sexual scene where Kitty's about to, like, crack open an oyster, as one does. And Nancy's dad is like, oh, we haven't even taught you how to shuckle an oyster properly. Like, how rude of us. And asks Nancy's brother to do it. And Nancy's like, no, stop, I can do it. I'll, 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 I'll open her oyster. And she, like, grabs the oyster and she's like, you must hold the oyster in the palm of your hand. The flat shell is uppermost, like this. Then you must take your blade and put it, not between the halves, but in the hinges here. And then you must grasp it and prize. You must hold it steady because the shell is full of liquor. And you mustn't spill a drop at it, for that's the tastiest part. The little fish sat in the palm in its bath of oyster juice, naked and slippery. This here is called the beard. You must trim that away. Then you must cut the oyster free, and now you may eat it. I slipped the shell carefully into her hand and felt her fingers warm and soft against my own as she cut them to receive it. Our heads were very near. She raised the oyster to her lips and held it for a second before her mouth, her eyes on mine, unblinking. And then all her family had just sat around like, what? Yeah, because that's very like I can imagine. I've not seen the TV adaptation, but I can imagine that would be like a very intense, Intimacy. lots of eye, and that's it. Like the idea of someone like slurping an oyster while making eye contact with you is yeah. like quite a lot. They're aphrodisiacs as well. Her mum and her brother and his girlfriend are just like sat there, like so. You're an actress. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. I've never seen her sexually an oyster that way before. Once they finish dinner. Kitty makes an announcement to Nancy that she's got an agent, she's leaving for London and she wants Nancy to come with her as her dresser. Nancy says yes, they get the train up to the big smoke and then they meet Mr B. 
Bliss. What's his real name? Walter. Walter Bliss, who's a theatrical agent. He takes them to Diggs, which is in a theatrical house, Mrs. Dendy's. And I want to be Mrs. Dendy. Oh my God. I think you'd be a wonderful Mrs. Dendy. She only has theatrical people. Even the dog tread the boards. It was a dog called Archie around the British seaside towns. They have to share a room because, you know, they're not making coins yet. And Victorian England, it's really common for everyone to share a bed. So they go to bed for the first time together and Nancy's like um I'll go up first because she doesn't want to miss that moment of Kitty undressing and getting into bed next to her and as well because they're like downstairs at the the house and like everyone's having some bevs and someone's playing the piano and it's like a little party time and then Nancy's very much like I want this socialising bit to be over, please. I would like to be alone with Kitty. As she says, when she would be beside me in the dark and there would be nothing but the two flimsy lengths of our cotton nightgowns to separate her own warm limbs from mine. There's so much, like, and a lot of this, we've kind of skimmed over it because otherwise it would be the whole podcast. It's 500 pages long, this book, like. Yeah, it's so much pining and it's such a slow burn with Kitty. And especially even at the beginning when you know what's going to happen because you know the book is about victorian theater lesbians you're like i know yeah. you're gonna get it on eventually but there's so much of them like we're just super good friends we're just pals aren't we hanging out having fun but nancy is like absolutely dying through the whole thing because she's like so in love with her i think kissy knows that deep down okay he definitely knows who else would give up their entire family to move at to a moment's notice scary london and yeah, yeah. And, like, Kitty does these... Oh, she's a bit of a cock tease. Like, she's hugging her, like, when they get into bed together. And they're just so close. And then she just turns around and she's like, you're like my sister, aren't you? And she's like, yeah, great. Yeah. Love that. Cool. So she gets put in the friend zone. She gets sister zoned. Sister zoned. Kitty goes, you're just like my sister, aren't you? And she's like, yep. And then Kitty just Mm -hmm. goes to sleep. And Nancy's just (laughs) lying there like, this might be shit. And she was like, I knew that I wouldn't pack my bags in the morning and bid Kitty farewell. I knew that having come so far, I couldn't do that. I must learn to swallow my queer and inconvenient lusts and call her sister. For to be Kitty's sister was better than to be Kitty's nothing. Kitty's no one. And I was like... Nancy, you deserve... You deserve to be someone, someone. You deserve someone. to be someone, someone. You don't deserve to be her substitute sister. And she's like, I have to learn how to love Kitty the way she loves me, not the way I want to love her. And that's It just sad. sounds like a toxic relationship, to be honest. And I think all the way through, that's the thing with Kitty is like, Nancy's very swept away mm-hmm. by all of it. And obviously I think it's good because the alternative is what because nancy was like had like a a a bow at the beginning like a lad she was courting who she completely would just jib off and be like i'm gonna hang out with this girl so bye like all the time but otherwise it's like what's the other especially victorian times like what's the other option getting married and having some kids and then maybe meeting a woman and being like oh oh what do I do now? A later on in the life wife. So then they carry on through the scene. Kitty's trying to get famous. She's doing the musicals. And we skip through to Christmas. And we get to Christmas. And they are doing some Christmas shows. And Nancy buys Kitty a necklace with a pearl on it. And as Mrs. Dendy says, she's very superstitious. She says, pearls for tears. Which... Yep, yeah, but Kitty loves it and she won't take it off. She wears it, like, even with her men's clothes for the show, like, she wears it all the time. And then Kitty gets Nancy a new dress. And she's like, I can't have my dresser looking shabby and hand-me-down clothes. I got you this dress. And Nancy's like, it's too much. Like, she's like, we're kind of making coin now so you can buy nice clothes. Nancy tries on this dress and it's it's that she's all that moment. It's that makeover moment in any yeah naughty's teen film and she comes downstairs before they go off to a christmas party at the theater and i think it's marylebone they're going to everyone in the guest home at mrs dendy's is like oh my god you look amazing she's the woman they're like oh my god look at you in actual clothes well done hon so they go to this party and a coronet player from the band is trying it on with nancy and he's like 
spinning her around, having a dance. She's at a bath. She's kind of like, woo, in that way you are when She's you're... had some sham, as they call it. Sham. For champagne. And it's very much that thing of, because she must be like, what, 18, maybe? 18, 19, Of yeah. when you've like had a bev and you're at a party and like someone you're not really interested in is paying oh, attention. I want to dance with somebody. And it's, that's like, it. Yeah. She's like someone who you're not that interested in, but they're be- like being nice to you. So you're like, this is fun. Like we're all having yeah. fun. Until he ruffles her sash and she's oh. like, no, don't ruffle my sash, my sash. Bitch. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. She's not putting out tonight. And mm-hmm. Nancy's like, no, you're never going to get it. Never going to get it. Never going to get it. <laughs> never going to get it. No, no, no. Um, so she goes down to the dressing room to fix her sash because it's the only place with a looking glass in it. And she's down there like, maybe I do look good. Thinking about, you know, like that drunk toilet spin that you do. This is what I imagine she's doing, but in yeah. the dressing room by herself. And then Kitty sort of walks in and she's got this confidence and machismo enigma aura around her that she only has when she's performing. Mm. And she looks at Nancy and she's like, you were very fresh with that horn player, weren't you? And they'll be calling you Miss Flirt soon. Oh, look at little Miss Flirt. And Nancy's like, no. No. How dare you say things like this? As they're having like a weird kind of hot, kind of drunk teenage girl yelling at each other match. (laughs) Yeah, it's like a really lame argument. But it's also like really sexually tense. Yeah. I like Nancy's like, I won't have you call me a flirt. And she tugged at me. How could you call me one? How could you? Oh, if you knew. They're arguing and they're like getting closer and closer and grabbing at each other's clothes and stuff. And it's like, that's not how you argue with people. No. And then it says, I grasped her, not the better to push her away, but in order to hold her nearer. Gradually, we ceased our wrestling and grew still. Our breaths ragged, our hearts thudding. Her eyes were round and dark as a jet. I felt her fingers leave my hand and move against my neck. And then someone comes downstairs. Of course they fucking do. <laughs> like, I was like, this is kind of hot. It's like these huns can't catch a break. <laughs> just want a bang. And it's not just that someone comes in. Someone comes in and tells them that, like, some other fucking singer, musical person's committed suicide. No, no, no. Some white man couldn't handle the facts that one person didn't like him, so he killed himself over that. That's what happened. And it ruined Kitty and Nancy's Ruin. sexy moment. I just throw the book. I'm like, fucking white men ruining the sexy moment. It's not the first time that white men have ruined lesbianism for me. It's like... <laughs> so everyone gets well sad and everyone Party's goes... Party's really over. It's the really over. Done. So they're getting a taxi cab, which is a horseback then, over from Marylebone to Brixton, where the lodgings are. So they've got across the river and they're going across the river at Lambeth Bridge and Kitty's like, stop, look, the river, it's frozen over. Isn't it beautiful? And then they kiss. It's like two o'clock in the morning and it's cold and there's no one there and the river's frozen over. You've got the city behind you, that like romantic juxtaposition. Yeah, it's like very sort of filmic and like dramatic. God, I miss London. I was thinking this when I was reading it. I was like, I feel like if I knew London better, I'd get more Mm. from this book because I don't really like know how places link up and stuff. The thing is, in my head, I'm seeing like the shard... And yeah. Canary Wharf in the background, which wasn't there. Um, but then she says, Kitty says, um, you won't tell a soul, Nan, will you? I think I sighed then, sighed to know, to know for sure at last that there was something to be told. And then I dipped my face to hers and shut my eyes. Her mouth was chill at first and then very warm. The only warm thing, it seemed to me, in the whole of the frozen city. Mm. <gasps> but also mm. Kitty's like... Kitty has a whole lot of internalised homophobia that oh, she's yeah. not ready to address. She is. Kitty is like, this is our secret. This is our big boy secret. And she's looking around to make sure the driver's not watching them. And so then they get back in the carriage and they go home and then they get up to their room and it's cold because it's winter and there's central heating and double glazing doesn't exist. So the only heat they have is off their bodies. Ugh. She was naked, all except the pearl and chain about her neck. She turned in my hand, stiff and pimpled with cold, and I felt the brush of her nipples and the hair between her thighs. Then she moved away and the bed springs creaked. And at that, I didn't want to pull the rest of my own clothes off, but followed her to the bed and found her shivering there beneath the sheet. 
She says, may I really touch you? And Kitty says, oh, Nan, I think I shall die if you don't. I don't think I've ever said that to someone ever and maybe I, I should. die if you don't. I will yeah, simply die. That. Let's start using that. Again, it's very slow burning. It's very mm-hmm. dramatic. It's very romantic. I let my hand linger until, with her face still tilted from my own and her eyes hard shut, she took my wrist and gently led my fingers to her breasts. When I touched her hair, she sighed and turned and after a minute or two, she seized my wrist again and moved it lower. Here, she was wet and smooth as velvet. I had never, of course, touched anyone like this before, except sometimes myself. But it was as if I touched myself now for the slippery hand which stroked her seemed to stroke me i felt my own drawers grow damp and warm my own hips jerk as hers did soon i ceased my gentle strokings and began to rub her rather hard oh she said very softly then as i rubbed faster she said oh again then oh 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 a valley of o's low and fast and breathy she bucked and the bed gave an answering creak her own hands began to chafe distractedly at the flesh of my shoulders there seemed no motion no rhythm in all the world but that which I'd set up between my legs with one wet fingertip. Oh, Kitty's a little pillow princess, isn't she? She fucking is, yeah. She's not giving anything back. And I don't think she ever does, because after this night, this one wild night of passion, which, kind of hot. Pretty hot. Because we've been building up to it, been waiting for for it for so long, it's pretty hot. They start banging on page 104, so you really get into that relationship. It is a while. So then after they've banged, they sort of keep their relationship on the down low, but they also become a double act because why the fuck not? It turns out in London what Kitty's doing, this sort of like drag king thing isn't really that special there's quite a lot of girls doing it and so they're trying to work out what's going to be their like usp what makes us different and walter who's like the manager comes up with the idea that they should both do it originally they have her put on kitty's clothes but because kitty's very like incredibly feminine she needs the quite like masculine presenting clothes and it still comes off as quite androgynous whereas when nancy puts the men's clothes on she just looks like a man so they're like okay so we're gonna femme you up a bit we're gonna like bring the waist in and we're gonna put some bows on your shoes and like so it's still obviously this kind of drag king thing she really loves like the clothes that's when she really comes into her own is when she starts to dress in men's clothes and cuts her hair off and stuff and she absolutely buzzes off that she loves it she loves it and then they're they're doing the scene they're on tour you know doing music call after music call and they end up sharing a dressing room with what appears to be another lesbian couple and the lesbian couple are like nudge nudge wink wink want to come to this pub with us kitty's like no no we we're spoken for we're going for dinner with our manager we don't want anything to do with this and nancy's like oh they seem really nice and kitty's like no we don't do that she says they're toms. Nancy's like, I've never heard that word before, but I'll know it for the rest of my life. And it says toms, they make a career out of kissing girls. We're not like that. Are we not, Kitty? We're not. To be fair, she could be bisexual. There's a lot of debate between like bisexuality and obviously lesbianism and like compulsory heterosexuality. And I feel like maybe kitty's got a big old dose of compact that she's not got rid of yet and a lot i mean a lot of internalized homophobia completely and there's a bit later on where they are kind of the turning point of their relationship Mm. is when they play a music hall that has a really rowdy audience and they've like had the comedian before them like two people got on stage and held him upside down over the footlights trying to set fire to his hair and shit like it's a rough crowd it's a rough crowd people are drunk they want a good time and they were late and if you're late people are going to kick off so mm-hmm. but there's a guy in the audience who's drunk and like being a cunt basically yeah. um and they're kind of coming out and they're doing their bit and people are kind of warming to them and like it's just this one drunk guy being an idiot and he kind of goes like oh what are we doing like it's just a couple of toms anyway and kitty loses her shit, shit. she like freezes she, cannot cope. she doesn't know what to do um and after this moment she is not changed for good she's changed for the worst um she becomes really picky about what venues they go to picky about what songs they sing starts retreating herself she doesn't even like nan touching her in public and all the things that were fine before don't become fine anymore and then nancy goes home they do panto together but because they're still using the limes the theater burns down they're meant to be doing panto from christmas till easter firstly woof that's a long season of panto yeah and secondly they're like oh it was really common theater just burned down all the time which they did and i like yeah she mentioned it but nancy's like feeling a bit sad about 
being away from her family because she didn't she's been away for like two years whatever she's yeah. like, not been home once she wrote to alice she was really excited when she kind of hooked up with the first thing she did after she fucked nancy the first time was going write a letter to her sister and her sister was like nope not interested in this never tell me about this again i have heard this and i suggest you do the same yeah but then so she goes home and she has this really awkward time at home because she brings them all loads of presents but obviously they don't want loads of presents they just want to see her and she doesn't really know how to talk to any of them anymore more and it's really awkward and sad so she was meant to be going home for like x amount of days like three days and she ends up coming back a little bit early because she was like oh it's really awkward it's not really i just want to get out of everyone's way and she comes back to the uh, they've moved out of mrs dendy's house nancy never wanted to leave because it meant they were sharing a bed and they were fun it was a fun place to live with other people it sounds like an absolute joy so they move into this new flat they have their rooms for like appearances sake but she comes home to this flat that they've been sharing and when she gets there, Walter is there. It's like mm-hmm. early in the morning, but Walter is there. And Kitty is sat up naked in bed while Walter is getting dressed. Yeah, he's sort of dishevelled. Yeah, and Nancy, like, loses her shit, like, completely rightfully so. And she's like, how long has this been going on? What is this? Kitty's just a bit like well I promised we were going to tell you I promised we were I think as well because of the way that Nancy's like Walter obviously fancies Kitty and I feel a bit sad for him because like obviously we're together now so like it's a shame that that he fancies my girlfriend is the way her brain was working I personally just assumed Walter was gay when we first read this I 100% assumed Walter was gay obviously she comes in and like loses her shit as like the wronged woman and Walter is clearly a little bit like, you need to calm down because sort of as far as he's concerned, they're just like colleagues and pals. Yeah. And maybe she's overreacting a little bit. She says, do, like, do you know what we were to each other? And he says, I know that you were sweethearts of a kind. And Nancy says, of a kind? The kind that what? Hold hands? Did you think then that you were the first to have her in this bed? Didn't you tell her that I fuck her? And he flinches and she flinches. Like, we've never said that before. Like, that's mm. not a thing I've ever said out loud. And this is the bit that that really got me is that after they've had that to do as Hannah was reading out that they've all said that they're fucking and then Walter looked at her but his expression was a curious mixture of contempt complacency and pity it said that was not fucking as the world knows it it said you have fucked her so well that she has left you it said you may have fucked her first but I shall fuck her now and forever and I was like, that's what every straight man thinks of a lesbian relationship, that they'll tell her. That is exactly it. And it's like, <laughs> that's like so perfectly put together. Yeah. Is that like the way, I think mean, that first bit particularly, like that was not fucking as the world knows it. Is it's it? like what you were doing is just completely invalidated by society. Mm-hmm. And therefore I almost like don't have to feel bad. I don't have to feel anything. Yeah. It completely alleviates him of any guilt in which we look at that and go, you've just broken up a relationship. Mm. And he can go, well, that wasn't really a relationship because they're both girls. I have a penis. Absolute bullshit. I I thought it was really well written. Very well written and very, very sad. And so Nancy like just goes. She just leaves. She takes literally the bag that she had with her and she goes. And she's storming around London. She's got some coin She's got enough coins. She's not got all her coins. She's not got all her dollars. Walter has that. She finds, like, some lodgings. And she's just depressed at this place for a long time. There's a big chunk around this point, which is just Nancy being very, very depressed. And literally just weeks and weeks pass without her doing anything. Anything. So we're going to skip through that. Not that you can skip through people's depression, but... It's not fun to talk about on a podcast. So she goes out, she's having little walks around London and she's realising that men are absolute pigs and they're yelling things at her and pinching her ass and she's like, fuck this. And she realises that the things she reclaimed from the dressing room are all the male suits that she wore as part of her masher costume because she loved them and she couldn't bear to part with them. Um, and she walks to Soho one day and she finds that you can rent rooms by the hour. So she does, mm-hmm. and she changes into her male clothing there because her landlady at this point is very much like, no, boys. And so she starts getting dressed up in her, like, boys' clothes just so she can walk around the city without getting shouted at, which is fucking sad that that's still the world we live in where if um, you want to walk around the streets without getting harassed, you should probably just be a man. It's easier. Um, and one of her costumes is a guardsman costume, and she's wearing that. And a guy comes up to her and he's like, are you up for it, private? 
And she's like, what? And he's like, are you up for a lark? Do you have a room we might be able to go to? Uh, Nancy's a bit like, what do you want me to do? And he says, put your pretty asshole at my service, or your pretty lips, perhaps, or simply your pretty white hand, but through the slit in my breeches, whatever. Soldier, you prefer. Only cease your teasing, I beg you. I'm as hard as a broom handle and aching for a spent. <laughs> and so, I mean, basically, she just kind of... She doesn't even really need the money. She sees it as a tribute to how masculine she's coming across, that this man has approached her as a man, thinking she is a man wanting to have sex with her as a man. Yeah, she's flattered by that. Yeah. So she says she'll do it. She'll give him a handjob for a sovereign. I thought this was cute, because obviously, for a start, it's the Victorian times, and secondly she a lesbian she was like i got his cock out and studied it i'd never seen one before so close and no disrespect to the gent concerned it seemed quite monstrous and i was like i feel like when you first see your first penis that generally is the response you are like, like what the fuck is this? this becomes a routine this is something she does she'll go yeah. and put her men's clothes on and she'll wander around offering her services to gentlemen who approach her and the big thing seems to be this is what walter is like she's like i'm doing this this is what kitty does to walter this is the like connection there which made me sad one day the lady who runs the rooms in soho isn't there rob has come along nick some of her female clothes so she has to go back to her flat dressed as a man the owner is like i had no boys and then kicks her out and then she goes and she finds a new landlady and the reason she picks this landlady is because of the way she spelt female it's f-e dash male and she's like i feel that it me she goes there and the landlady's called mrs milne she's a daughter called gracie She's anywhere between 15 to 30. The rest of the characters in the book describe Gracie as simple. Yeah. We're not mental health professionals, so we can't say what she's getting at. We're not going to make any kind of diagnosis. Mrs Milne seems very taken with the fact that like nancy's really nice to gracie and she'll humor her whims and stuff and mrs milne is absolutely chill with the men's clothing nancy says oh i'm doing it for my theatrics and they're like how lovely to have an actor in the house yeah they get this really nice family vibe like a little unit and it means that she can go out without having to sneak around and continue to do her yeah sex work but one night while she is out and about a carriage pulls up and just kind of stays there and that's like a thing is like you can get in the carriage but she's like i don't do carriage work because they normally expect more than i am able to give them she's very picky about the people that she'll go with and she will obviously can only do certain things because she's not really a boy she kind of doesn't go for it and then she's walking home later on and the same carriage comes back it's not a man in the carriage that she expected it is a woman it's a lady called diana letherby letherby yeah who has been watching her and diana's like girl please i knew you were a woman and Nancy's like, how did you know? And Diana's like, I know when a woman does things. They have this little flirt. And then they go back to Diana's gaff. It turns out Diana is fucking mean to. Oh my God, and Diana's like. Diana hit the jackpot because her husband died. They have no kids and she got all them coins. Yes, bitch. And she's turned her little house into basically, you know how the house in the back passage was like absolute gay heaven where it was stacked exclusively by homosexual men. That's what Diana's done for the lesbians of London. All her housekeeper, her maids. It's a lesbian affair all around. And it's great. They start touching each other and... They have this kind of hot sex scene together. Yeah, it's really spicy. And I think especially because she spent so long completely ignoring what she wants, that it very much is a complete blossoming of Mm. her. And because Diana is so open about her sexuality and the things she wants to do, and in a way that Kitty obviously wasn't this was a bit where i was like this is spicy as fuck this is so good she says in my bedroom you'll find a trunk and in there there was a kind of harness made of leather i saw what the straps and the buckles supported it was a cylinder of leather rather longer than the length of my hand and about as fat in width as i could grip one end was rounded and slightly enlarged the other fixed firm to a flattened base 
It was, in short, a dildo. I had never seen one before. I did not, at that time, know that such things existed and had names. I loved it. And she puts it on. She's like, yes, queen, look at me. I'm in a fancy house. I'm wearing a dildo. I'm about to bang someone. I'm going to bang a milf like she is living her best life. So then they get down to the banging and Diana is in control. Diana is a woman who knows what she wants and she is going to take it and she's very Samantha-like in Sex and the City, I thought, in that she just fucking owns it. She makes Nancy sit on a chair while Diana then rides her dirty and I want to read this whole page out, but I don't think we have time for me to read. In classic literally gagging fashion, if something's actually hot, we're not going to read it to you. We're going to read it out, no. You can tell it's properly hot if Molly likes lesbian content because it's not always your jam. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. And then my favourite bit is Diana, after sex, goes, exquisite little tart. Diana is painfully (laughs) posh. Like, she's She's so posh. so posh. So basically, she stays the night and then... Diana's like, sack off whatever you're doing before. You don't need to be a sex worker anymore. You mine. And it's like the classic U-Haul lesbian stereotype of like lesbians move in together oh, after completely. the first date. And that's literally what she does. She has to go back to her boarding house and say goodbye to Miss Milne. Gracie does not take it well. No, but when she's there, she bumps into a woman at a flat across the road from Mrs. Milne's. Nancy's like, ugh, I like that piece of ass. Because she's chilling on the balcony in her boys' clothes and she does a little flirt. And then she sees her the next day. She's like, hey, hon, I'm a girl. And they have a little chat. Florence is the girl's name. And they're going to meet up, but... Diana is a real possessive bitch, so she can't meet up. She ends up sacking Florence off. So she jibs off Florence, which is seems not important at the time, will become important. And she goes, and she spends like a year or something just being Diana's toy, essentially. Yeah. Diana buys her really fancy suits. She likes her to go out dressed as a man. She gives her like a man name for in public. Neville. She takes her to her sapphist gentleman's club, which sounded lit. It's very luxurious and also like a little bit mm. sordid because it's like um, they were lying around smoking in the soiled sheets of her bed. Diana might be clad in nothing but a corset and a pair of purple gloves. I would have the dildo around me, perhaps with a rope of pearls around it. Why not? Oh, I love it. Do you think that's for anal because of anal beads? Maybe. I hadn't even thought of that. She says to Diana, like, you're the boldest bitch in the city. You're I the love that boldest bit. bitch with the cleverest quim. If fucking were a country, well, fuck me, you'd be its queen. These are the words which, pricked on by my mistress, I use now. Lewd words which shocked and stirred me even as I said them. I'd never thought to use them with Kitty. I had not fucked her. We had not frigged. We had only ever kissed and trembled. It was not a quim or a cunt she had between her legs. Indeed, in all our nights together, I don't believe we ever gave a name to it. Which I get because I think all the words yeah. for vagina are disgusting. Like, I they hate are. them I like all. a quim. I like quim. I like cunt, but I feel like people don't mm. necessarily use it in, like, a sexy way anymore. No, it's more of an insult now. Quim, let's bring it back. So she's hanging out with all, like, the stylish sapphists of London. And they've got a maid at the house who had been, like, put in a reformatory, reformatory. school for corrupting another young woman. Um, and then it gets to Nancy's birthday... And Diana's like, OMG, we have to celebrate. Let's go to the opera. So Nancy's dressed as a boy um, and she's putting the coats in the cloakroom. And she sees one of her pals who used to work at the Panto. So she's like, oh, mate, how's it going? And Diana is getting annoyed because Diana's got this grand entrance plan because she wants to be seen. Diana wants to be seen with this young, virile, handsome buck who turns out is a woman. But Nancy's ruining it. The guy from Panto is like, OMG. My wife is now Kitty's dresser. Kitty is performing with Walter down the road. Nancy can't stop thinking about Kitty. So she is like, I'm too hot, I'm going outside. Sneaks out of the opera, sneaks down the road to the other theatre to watch Kitty and Walter's act, which is essentially the crankies. Oh, it's it's horrible. 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 It's horrible. Walter's like, oh, where could my Johnny boy be? And then he's all sad and you think Johnny boy's dead. And then in comes Kitty like, hey, daddy, I'm Johnny boy. Oh, 
hate it so much. And Nancy's like, I fucking hate this so much. It's disgusting. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. It's creepy AF. So they go back and then it's Diana's birthday a few months later. She's a big lesbian bash. You'll have to come dressed as your favourite lesbian. They're all getting pissed off because there's only a certain amount of lesbian heroes you can come out. There's like seven Marie Antoinettes. (laughs) And this party is just chaotic as fuck there's drunk lesbians everywhere left right and center there's a whole thing where one of the yeah someone's bought her a book someone's done like a a gay case studies book and one of the huns in the room is in it or something diana's like what are you going on about and they're like we're reading this story of a lady with a clitoris as big as a little boy's prick and then someone goes, oh, actually, that's true, because the poor grow up 20 to a bed. It means that the girls are there for frothing at the gash and wanking. Yeah, it's basically saying that, like, you can, if you wank too much, you get, like, a massive clip. And then they were like, oh, my God, do you know who's going to have a massive clip because she's poor and went to reformatory school? The maid. So they call the maid in and they're like, get your rocks off, get your rocks off, honey. And she's like, no. And then Nancy stands up for her. So Diana gets angry and whacks Nancy with the book, goes upstairs and sort of licks her wounds. But someone else who comes up to help her lick those wounds. It, oh, that was Delicious. horrible. <laughs> Is Zena the maid? So her and Zena end up fucking. It's hot again. Zena has the strap on. The phrase that she uses is, if my quim had had a tongue, it could not have been more eloquent. And if Zena's quim had had one, it would now have licked its lips. Oh, so they are banging when Diana brings her gal pals up to show them the dildo, her box of tricks that she's gotten from the world. And then she catches them in the act. And Diana is fucking mad. And one of her pals is like, make them fuck for our pleasure. What? Who said that? Not me. So Diana throws them all out. She's like, nope, you cheat on me. You're out. I'm rich. You had everything. Fuck this. Diana's been a prick for the whole thing, but also don't cheat on someone with their maid. Maybe at their birthday party. No one comes out of it well. And I think just because of the nature of the way Nancy is, relationship with women has been is they get a night in a hostel they share a bed in a hostel and nancy's like and when i wake up me and xena will start our new life together and when she wakes up xena has fucked off because of course she has with all the money that they had nancy's like what the fuck do i do she goes back to mrs milnes and mrs milne and gracie have have moved on like they don't live there anymore she doesn't know anybody she doesn't have anywhere to go and then she remembers that the girl who she jibbed off to go and fuck diana worked for like a homelessness charity or something and she's like i remember where she worked that's a person that i know that's someone who can help me goes to the office manages to fandangle the address out of someone like it's and it is a fandangle read it it's a it's a fandangle i'm just i'm gonna say no more than that turns up at this girl's house like a full at least a year after they had nearly went to the pub once they had like one conversation and this weirdo turns up at her doorstep and then fucking faints throws a swoon on the doorstep comes in has to be fed has to be looked after gives them a sob story that she'd been taken advantage of by like a cruel rich man who'd kicked her out and florence who's the hun from before she's got a baby and she's living with a man and she's like oh fuck like mm, but i'm here now um and she's like right you can stay tonight and then you can you've got to be on you your need way. to get out you gotta fuck off so the man gets up goes to work takes the baby drops him off at the next door neighbors they're pretty sure that the next door neighbor is giving all she's a childminder but she's giving them all booze to quiet them down <laughs> fair play <laughs> why not um and then florence gets up and she's like okay can you go now and then she's like but my legs hurt and florence is like can you get the fuck out of my house and she's like right i need to go to work as long as you're gone by the time i get home fine fine whatever because i have to go nancy gets up and then she's like right cool they're not going to be home till five so i've probably got time to like have a cup of tea um and then i'll there's a slice of bacon left and now that i've had a cup of tea like i mean i should probably wash oh i've used all the water i'll have to go and get more water from the whatever and she ends up staying all day cleaning the house to kind of as her gesture of goodwill and then she goes oh well i'm here now might as well they'd love to come home to have their dinner already cooked and they get home from work and they're like 
Oh, you're still here. still here. And she just stays. They don't make her leave. She is like mold you cannot get rid of. She just inputs her heels and is like, nope, I live here now. And they're like, please go. And she's like, no. And they let her get away with it for some reason. Well, it's because they're massive socialists. It transpires that they're not husband and wife, as we are led to believe. They are brother and sister. The baby is, we'll get into that. Um, But because they're massive socialists, and they appear to be rather wealthy socialists as well. Mm. They give out their money. They would, if it wasn't Nancy, they'd have let any waif or stray lie on the sofa, so to speak. And they help everyone in need. They kind of create this nice little, like, almost family unit of, like, the other two adults go to work. She looks after the baby. She cleans. It's a nice life. Turns out, obviously, Florence is also a big old Tom. Tom. They end up having this big sort of confiding session where it turns out the baby so she was friends with this girl called Lillian who she was in love with but Lillian was was straight had come out of a a rough relationship with a baby Florence and Ralph who's her brother had taken Lillian in but then Lillian dies Lillian died in childbirth and no midwife will come and see her because they're like I don't deal with unmarried women so by the time they get a midwife who will deal with single mothers she's pretty much dead the baby lives ralph and florence have taken on the baby it kind of comes out that obviously they're both toms they go to a bar together florence is like we've had a rough week let's go for a bev so they go for a bev and it's a special kind of bar they're like oh you see that gentleman over there playing snooker that's a woman look at all these women in trousers what kind of bar do you think this could be there's some sex workers behind them and they said well I tipped the velvet with them. And Nancy's like, tipped the velvet? And Florence is like, have you never tipped the velvet? Like, oh, baby lesbian, you've never tipped the velvet. Nancy's like, I didn't say I've not done it. I said I didn't know what it was called. Tipping the velvet is cunnilingus. I don't think it's specifically a lesbian term. I think it is just like Victorian. It's just cunnilingus. Cunnilingus. The lady in the trousers playing snooker comes over and is like, my mate says you're not, I say you are, we've got a bet on. You used to work the music halls of Kitty Butler, you you were a masher. And no one at the table believes it, but they're like, oh yeah, play along, Nancy, because you'll you'll get a drink out of this. And she's like, ah, oh, no, like, actually, actually was me. Suddenly all these lesbians are flocking to it. And we're like, I was such a fan, like, oh my I was God, such a fan you, back you in the day. And Florence is kind of like, oh, didn't know you were famous. You should maybe have said that, babe. But they have a lovely time. They get given a free pot pie, which I think is lesbian heaven but then they go home and they get it on finally and again it's good sarah waters knows how to write a sex scene it's good such a build-up they're like having a bit of banter and then it says as if through some occult power of its own the space between our lips seemed to grow small and then to vanish and we were kissing and nancy's shaking and in her head she's like stop fucking shaking she'll think you've never kissed anyone before stop Mm -hmm. being lame but they're like getting it on on the camp bed and she is like touching her and then Florence says do you care for it inside and the question was such a gentle and gallant one I almost wept um I felt her move within me first with one finger then with two I guess then three at last after a second's pressure she had her hand in me up to the wrist that was where it lost me I don't believe it I don't I don't believe she got fisted um I also think the fact that it says to feel the subtle twisting of her fist the curling and uncurling of her sweet fingers beneath my womb so much of this book has been genuinely really sexy and this is the sex scene that you want to be like because it's sweet and like it's a relationship Mm. that could actually happen and we're talking about wombs the second you put womb into it my womb clamps up but not for nancy because she said when i reached my crisis i felt a gush and found that i'd wet her arm with my spendings from fingertip to elbow then she had come out of a kind of sympathy and lay weak and heavy against me with her own skirts damn so she squirted everywhere this other hun's come just from touching it great everyone's having a great time this is like the big climax of that and then it she moves into the room upstairs with florence they kind of they become a nice living as a couple essentially because of that that means that nancy has to become more and more involved in florence's socialism and they're getting ready to have this big socialist party in victoria park and people are going to come and speak 
different workers are going to march. There's a bit as well which I thought was really funny because they're teaching her about politics. And she says, mm. I scarcely knew the difference between a Tory and a Liberal. And um, when I said that, they took it as a kind of joke. You're so <laughs> right, Amanda answered. There's no difference at all. If only everyone was as clear-sighted as yourself. And I was like, she's just like, um, what's the difference? And they're like, eh. So they're planning a big socialist-like fucking festival. And it gets to the day of the festival, the big socialist party and all of nancy's exes are there yeah she bumps into xena who is like oh i'm good now i've got like three girlfriends over here xena's living her best gay life she's having a great and she's life. like have you seen diana diana's here and nancy's like no and she's like well you probably don't want to see her because she's a piece of shit and nancy's like no i'm gonna go and look at her she's there with a new plaything in a fancy suit and then kitty turns up after Ralph's speech. So Ralph makes a speech and I would really recommend everyone listen to it because when I was reading... So I highlighted all of it. Nancy has to go and do the speech because Ralph shit at speaking. But the actual speech was pretty much everything that's happening right now except for the fact that women in the east end of London aren't dying at 29 anymore. That's the only difference is that the age of death has gone up. Bonus... But the same level of poverty, the same level of capitalism, the same level of people working hard but getting fucking nowhere. Capitalism fucking everybody over, the working people getting taken advantage of. This book's a really good book. Let's just put that out there. Yeah. Um, It's sexy, it's interesting, it's historical, and it's really fucking right on with the politics. And my partner, who was a trade unionist, was like, yeah, this is why you need to join your trade union. I was like, you, that was the first thing you made me do when we started going out. But then after the speech, Kitty turns up. And this has been a big kind of point of contention with Florence and Nancy. Their exes have haunted them, haven't they? They've haunted this relationship. And they've both kind of accepted the fact that neither of them can be the other's like first love. And neither of mm. them can replace this person. But the problem is that Florence's gal is never going to just turn up out of the blue. But Kitty turns up. Nancy's having this chat with her and Kitty's like, basically like, oh, you're amazing. You look great. You're smashing this socialism thing. Walter's fine, but like, I'm not really that into it. Everything's sort of a bit shit. I miss you. Do you want to come back? And Nancy's like, nah, mate, you're ashamed of me. You're still ashamed of me. Because she's like, we can be discreet. And Nancy's like, but I don't have to be discreet anymore. The prospect was stay with someone who's fairly open to being a lesbian for the time or come and live with you as your cuckold in your marriage because... I still think Walter's gay. I think they're probably each other's beards and I think there was probably quite a lot of that around at the time. Nancy's like, you can jog on, babes. And then she turns around and Florence is gone because obviously Florence was like, oh, cool, she's talking to her ex. I'm I'm just going to peace out. You know, we've made this agreement that if the exes ever came back, we'd fuck off with the exes. And she's here, mine's dead. So Nancy goes and tracks her down and is like, I choose you, basically. That's what happens. I love happens. you, I love you. And they have a little kiss on a bench in a park, regardless of who's looking. Um, and it's lovely. And that's it. And that's the book. That's it. And we really tried to condense it down, but 500 pages. It's a big boy Fucking. book, and there are bits that we've kind of yeah. skimmed through. So, how wet did you get? Were you let the ocean? How wet did you get? Were you drier than the desert? How wet? Did you get, did this book make you come? I think this is my favourite. I think this is, is the it? best one, yeah. Any situation in which the words like Victorian theatre lesbians come together is where <laughs> I belong in my life. Obviously, we're going to mark this one out of vaginas or we'll mark it out of big leather dildos. Or oysters. Oysters, that's cute. I think... I'm going to mark it like, out of oysters. I'm going to say like eight and a half. Yeah, I loved it. I really loved it. I think I'd agree with you. I thought it was good. I thought it was really well written. The sex scenes were good. They were sporadic. I will give it that. But a lot of them had so much build up to them that when you got to them, you really got that payoff. So this is Sarah Water's first book. I've read some of her later ones. Would big recommend historical lesbians, but also just really well written books. You don't have to take our word for it. 
Hannah, what did the good people of Goodreads have to say about this book? So, the good people of Goodreads had a lot of thoughts on this book. Regardless, normally, mm-hmm. the good reviews are long and the bad reviews are like, meh, hated it. No matter yeah. whether anyone liked this or didn't, they wrote a five-paragraph essay about it, regardless. Uh. So I'm going to read some edited highlights. One is from a man called Matt, who wrote a five-star review. And he said, I'm a straight white male living in the conservative heartland of America who likes reading about the Civil War and drinking cheap white wine. Yes. We love Matt. Thus, when Sarah Waters sits down to write her novels, I am likely not the intended audience for which she spins her yarns. Possibly I'm the furthest thing from it. But basically, he fucking loves a Victorian theatre lesbian, does Matt? <laughs> That's the conclusion of that one. So should we. And then there's a lady called Sarah who only gave it two stars. And she was basically saying, like, it's very formulaic for lesbian novels it's like naive young woman falls in love with more experienced older woman who gets taken advantage of and there's like a little twist and a little turn and whatever she said also in tipping the velvet you might learn something about oysters and where the best ones are apparently harvested you can learn how to prepare oysters and how to eat them all this information is in the first chapter and it's far more (laughs) interesting than the rest of the novel and i disagree but fine amazon it wasn't so much 50-50. They were mostly pro this book. Good. There were like a few negative Nancys. So the first negative Nancy is called Abs, but she just called it superficial lesbian porn. The setting might be real enough and the lesbian imitation of Dickens quite witty. All the characters, however, suffer from the flatness and superficialism of the true Victorian novelist, except that the reader hardly ever feels any compassion for Nan a lie. Indeed, does she ever really think? The novel huffs and puffs a sweaty passion, which can be quite pleasant for a few of us, I suppose. I managed to read up to page 240, but all those harnesses and dildos sickened me to the extent that I had to tear the book and throw it into the bin. Sickened me. Never to read. Sickened me. Never to read Waters again. Really? And all the critics call that literature? Fuck me. Someone's a little bit dramatic. <laughs> Someone didn't get enough attention as a child. Someone's got some issues. <laughs> wow. That was honestly the best worst review I think we've read. The five stars I'm going to go with is just called Amazon Customer. Uh, the title is I Will Buy Every Single Book of Waters Just for the Fact That She Writes Real Women in Love with Real Women. Love that. It goes. Yes, Sarah Waters. Have to admit, some of the sex scenes were a little implausible, but maybe I'm a prude. Either way, I will buy every single book of Waters just for the fact that she writes real women in love with real women rather than cardboard cutouts having a face. So if you have read Tip in the Velvet or if you've seen Keely Hall's Tip the Velvet, let us know. Let us know your thoughts, feelings and opinions. You can find us at literally gagging pod on instagram on twitter we are at lit gag pod and we are literally gagging pod at gmail.com if you want to send us a little email if you have any more lesbian theater victorian literature you think we should be reading because we are here we are here for it we're all over it we're so all over it yeah yeah little oysters opening up lovely Please rate, review and subscribe. Tell your pals, tell your mum, tell your nan, tell your next door neighbour. You know, spread it around, spread the love. As ever, stay safe, give nurses a pay rise, join your union. Have your cervical smear. And have a wank. That's it. Very good. Love to you all. Bye. Bye. A big thank you to Bobby Bates for doing all of our artwork and our logo and everything. To Bethany Southworth for our jingle. And the other incidental music is from Kevin McLeod of Incompetech, the king of royalty-free jams and saviour of media studies students the world over.